Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Well, God is good. And all the time... I hope uh, tonight you're ready for the last installment. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to look at two verses tonight as we finish up this series, The Heart of the Matter. And last week, if you were not here, or even uh, if you were, just want to reiterate real quick, just go over the three things we looked at. First was that when <clears throat> captive to sin, we lose our spiritual minds. You cannot be walking with Christ faithfully if you have unrepented sin in your life. It is literally a block wall, a steel wall, I don't care what you want to call it. Uh, it is the greatest way possible to prevent walking in the fullness of Christ when there is unrepented sin in your life. And we lose our minds. Sin makes us foolish. And we saw that last week, why it's so important for us to keep our minds, as Scripture talked about in these uh, Scriptures we've been looking at, that we shouldn't be quarrelers, we should, that God would bring us to our senses and escape the trap, which that trap is believing that you can have the heart of the matter dealt with and live in unrepented sin. We're good at convincing ourselves when we're in that state that it's the other person's problem or there's a justified reason for our behavior, but there is not. The second thing was we can only escape sin when we repent. We know from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we looked at that last week, the only way we escape the trap of the enemy is to repent. Repentance is turning, it's doing a 180-degree turn, not a 360-degree turn. That is going back in the same direction that you were going. 180 degrees is the opposite direction, and we talked about that. When we're on our own, we are followers of Christ, headed towards Christ, but when we are walking in sin, we either vary off of that path or we're walking backwards. We can't do that. It's super important that we realize that 1 John 1, 9, we confess it, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then the third and final thing last night, whose will, or last week was, whose will are you doing? That is the question that we have to ask every single day because we like to think as a Christian, my default is going to be to live according to the Spirit. We want to believe that, don't we? And we want that to be the truth, but we have to make an overt act of our will every single day. There has to be the defining moment when we wake up and choose this day whom you're going to serve. And you have to do that every single day until we are transported from the, the, the sanctification process to glorification. It will have to happen every single day. The natural default's not going to be to get up and to yield ourselves to the Spirit. That flesh is going to try to rear its ugly head the first thing in the morning. Why? Well, I'm tired. I can't see. My legs hurt. My back hurts. My wife said this. My husband said that. My kids are doing this. I don't feel good. And all of the litany of things that Satan's going to try to get us out of God's will to a place of disobedience, and we realize that cannot be a choice. The default must be to take captive, as Scripture says, every thought captive to the will of Christ. And that is what we need to do. And we saw that as we finished the series. And tonight, what we're going to do is basically just um, the conceptual reiteration of what we've looked at over the last four weeks. 
and you'll see that in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. As we finish this up, though, this last, the title of this, this part I'm going to share with you tonight out of chapter 1, I don't know what your Bible says, but it says, be loyal to the faith. Be loyal to the faith. If you're being loyal to the faith, you are being loyal to the cause of Christ. Because there is no faith, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see apart from Christ. So the reiteration of what we have looked at over the last four weeks now is all things in him preeminent. Preeminence means that it is number one. It's first, foremost, divine glorification, exaltation of Christ. That is what our lives are called to be as followers of Christ. And again, it's waking up every day taking these thoughts, taking these actions, taking these, these patterns that we battle ourselves. Scripture says to be what? Transformed. No longer conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That can't occur by ourselves. We can't wake up as we often think. In a very immature sense, Christians will battle this statement and, and battle saying this. Well, I just want to be a good person. Well, if you know what the scripture says, we can't be good people. Do you hear what I said? No one in here is righteous, not one, scripture says. But what we know is that as the Holy Spirit that indwells us, we yield ourselves to the power of God, the purpose and the plan of God. What God does is what cannot be done. God will allow through the Spirit and our yielding ourselves to him to have every thought taken captive to the will of Christ. You might say, well, I'm, I'm taking every thought captive to where and what? It must be taken captive to the will of Christ because the will of Christ, as followers of Christ, we have been created in him, and in him we what? Live, we move, and we have our being. And that's why it's the, the continual, I say it ad nauseum, meaning until it's almost nauseating, I share Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 with so many people that they've learned it because of me saying it week in and week out. I don't have a problem with that. And I don't have a problem with the fact that many of you know Ephesians 3.20 now because I have said it so many times over the last 15 and a half years now that what's happened, you are starting now to learn verses and you said, well, I haven't done it myself like I should have, but you say it every Sunday and you're teaching me through that. <clears throat> If that's all you've learned is what I've said on Sunday, you have missed the boat. Amen? Why do we impart, why do we impress God's word in our heart? That we might not sin against God. So if you're not impressing God's word on your heart, if you're not reading it, studying it, and committing it to memory, you are failing to get in a place with great spiritual strength, being armored up, able to deal with the heart of the matter, understanding the conceptual part of the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is the things of eternity. I, I can't even stress to you the importance of understanding that you remember the time that you were a sinner. You, in your mind, listen to what I'm telling you, you yourself recognized that you were a sinner. You realized that you were at enmity. You were at, at odds with God like two goats, literally, and God's not one of the goats. I'm just saying, like two fighting each other, the nature, the spirit nature. And what happened? You realized how separated, how far away you were from God's purpose and plan. You understood the chasm that was separated in the Garden of Eden as that place that represents separation from God for eternity. 
that you and I have been separated. And what is the, the gateway? Christ Jesus is the only gateway. You can just do an envisioning of the picture of the cross of Christ over that chasm and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have to understand we are sinners in need of a Savior, but then we must confess our sin and profess him as Lord and Savior. Please understand that because I know they're in this very area, churches that don't ever believe in that part being the issue with salvation. They believe that baptism is the, the means with which we are saved. Church, we're not saved through baptism. We are saved when we confess, we profess, and baptism is a vitally important element of it. Why do we baptize one another? We do it to demonstrate to the world what Jesus Christ did here. Amen? That is what salvation is. It is an external sharing and showing and proclaiming to the world what has been done here. What have you been, what has happened? You've been crucified with Christ, raised to walk in the newness of Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. That's what you're showing the world through that. Vital importance because there's so, so many. Scripture, somebody said it today, but I was thinking about it two days ago about the doctrine of demons as Scripture talks about in the latter times. That is a doctrine that is anti-Christ. We see that in cults all over the world right now. You see it in people that do the God and I have an understanding thing as I have heard someone, many people say to me personally, well, me and God have an understanding. And I say, oh, I know exactly one that Scripture says it. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess absolutely there is the understanding. The question is, are you going to do it before you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or are you going to do it before you hear the words, depart from me, cursed one, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels? The matters of the heart are the matters of eternity. And tonight, the question for yourself, all of us, is step back. Don't think about what mom told you, what dad told. I don't care what anybody in your family told you. I want to know that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you knew that time, you remember drawing that line in the sand, you might not know the exact day, but you can point to the time, you can point to that period in your lifetime, you remember it vividly, you should remember it vividly. It is that important of an experience, if you don't remember it, I would challenge you to get on your face before God and say, Lord, have I truly drawn that line in the sand, confessed my sin, understood that, that I am lost and without hope, and that I've confessed my sin, placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and become a follower of Christ. Lord, do not let me be deceived. The scripture says, do not be deceived. Not only can God not be mocked, but many will come on that day. Did we not cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead? He said, it says, tell them plainly, apart from me, I never knew you. Those are people that manifested some pictures of being quote-unquote Christians. This is why it is so important. Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Listen, you think, oh, you think getting married is important and who you marry one day, and that's the big focus of your life right now? I want to tell you something. That's at the bottom of the barrel concerning what I'm talking about tonight. That's the last thing you need to think about. Because what I'm going to talk about right now, you might marry some wretched soul. You'll, you'll marry that wretched soul, not realizing they're a wretched soul, and you might spend, I know people who have spent decades with wretched souls, male and female, that have said, I've had some of the greatest heartaches of my life because I didn't let God lead me, 
and I made a covenant, I made a commitment, and I stayed with that commitment, and it has caused me great pain and great, great hurt and angst in my lifetime because I didn't wait on the Lord. I have trusted the Lord, been faithful, and I've continued to fulfill my vow, and I will till I die by God's grace. But you know what's more important than that? See, you might stay with that wretched soul 60 or maybe somebody's really a long, I've heard people be married 80 years. You know what 80 years is? Nothing. It's zero in terms of eternity. Nothing. It's not two seconds in eternity. So if you think you're wretched now, imagine when you can't go outside. There's no outside to go to. There's no light. There's no oxygen. There's no water. There's no hope. And your friends aren't there with you. They're there, but you can't see nor hear them. I would say maybe you hear them. And they're not saying, hey, what's up? It's called a place of outer darkness where there is torment, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Because what I think in hell will entail is perpetual reels of times like right now where people will hear my voice, whether they watched it online or watched it live, and heard the gospel message plainly presented as the Holy Spirit had led men and women and Bible studies and all over the place that you've heard in your lifetime share the gospel. You'll hear those hellfire and brimstone preachers pleading with you to give your life to Jesus Christ. You heard it as a child. You thought it was entertaining. You sat there and giggled when you're young because, man, that guy's so worked up. He's been beating the pulpit for an hour and a half. And it's just, you know, you're a kid and it's funny and all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you, it's not funny. It's dead serious. Because what people don't realize is the moment that you take your last breath, all bets are off. The only thing that will matter is what you did with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gift of salvation. It will not matter what you knew and who you knew. It's not going to matter how much you gave to any religious cause. None of that will matter anymore. Because what I always say, you hear me say this, when you and I die, we're square with the house, meaning that what you did with Jesus Christ, everybody is on solid ground. You no longer have that money. You no longer have that influence. You no longer have anything other than what you did with Jesus or did not do. If you gave your life to Christ Jesus and allowed him to be the total, the total atoning work and sacrifice on behalf of you, then that's what the response when Jesus and God says, well done, thou good and faithful servants, because the blood of Christ Jesus has shielded our sin. But there will be many that stand there that have grown up in Christian homes, went to Christian schools, sat in churches. As a matter of fact, there's a book, if you ever get a chance, read it. It's called The Devil in Pew Number 7. I read it a number of years ago. It's a horrifying true story. It's called The Devil in Pew Number 7. There are goats among the sheep, sadly. But that's the real story of real life and the, the, the reality that there's people that sit in pews every single time church doors are open that'll never see a place we know as heaven. And that's what my job and the, the passion of my heartbeat where God has commissioned to be a pastor is with every ounce of my being to passionately proclaim the full counsel of God's word in the hopes that as the spirit of God convicts you, you don't convince yourself when the enemy tries to tell you that it's heartburn. That's not you under conviction. Oh no, everything's fine because nanny, mama, grandmother, grandfather, whoever it was told me, no, you, you, you're okay because remember back when you, you walked down the aisle and you got baptized, you're fine. That, that feeling you have right there, that's just the devil trying to make you feel. 
The devil trying to make you get saved. Is that right? I've never heard the devil try to get anybody saved. You know what he does? He's the one right now telling you that you're okay. When you're in agony inside because you know things aren't right, you're battling it and you're trying to justify the voice in your head that's saying it's fine. Let me tell you tonight, if you're hearing that voice, I would ask you to rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ. Because that voice tonight can potentially solidify your place separated in a place of outer darkness. Please understand why I'm saying what I say. I love you. I care about you. And I know that what I'm talking about tonight is dead serious. The heart, the matter, are the matters of eternity. Hope you found 2 Timothy chapter 1. Again, verse 13 and 14. If you're able physically, let's stand tonight out of reverence for the reading of God's word. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Father, thank you, Lord, tonight. This privilege we have to read your word. God, we know your word will not return void. Lord, we hand all of this to you. Take captive every one of our thoughts to the will of Christ. Father, move as only you can. Hide me behind the cross, Lord. Not one word more or one word less than you once spoken. May you alone be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' precious, holy, and righteous name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's verse 13 again. So hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. There's only two life application principles tonight. They're a little bit longer than normal because there's a lot in this, and I want to leave you with the, I always say I want to put something in your spiritual toolbox that you can take home and apply to your life or to use to step back and do an introspective uh, examination or uh, judge yourself less what? Yes, we'd be judged. First one is this. Hold to the sound doctrine Jesus Christ came to establish in faith and love. The sound doctrine that Jesus Christ came to establish in faith and love. What did Jesus come to establish? He came to establish a new covenant. We're not under the law. So it's that danger and propensity that we as humans have to say, I'm just trying to be a good person. I'm just trying to do, do I'm just trying to do good things and not do bad things. Well, it's like flashback to BC before Christ. Tonight, I'm not trying to do good things. What I want to do is God's will. I'm trying to live out the outflow of the Spirit's work within, and the manifestation of the Spirit's work within is obedience in living out God's plan and purpose for my life. It is not works that I am doing. You know what Scripture says? It's works that what? He prepared for us in advance. That is why we can't take credit for the work of God because we're taking credit for God's work. All we are is objects with which the Holy Spirit leads, guides into his perfect plan and will for our life. So we're not doing our will, but the will of Christ that dwells within us. That is why it's so dangerous when someone comes up and says, you know, you are just such an amazing, oh, you know, I just try to be a blessing to everybody. How about 
Praise God that God's used. I'm so humbled to know that God's used me to be a blessing to you. I just want to live out God's will, and I'm so thankful that God's used me as a ha the hands and feet to minister to you. To God be the glory. You see the two ways of responses? One of them was a carnal self-response, taking the glory, you know, just trying to do the right thing, you know. I just, and the other one was taking and reflecting all of the glory of the Lord and all of the praise. You were encouraged by their statement, but you were saying, hey, praise God, look at him because he's the one that gave me the ability, the strength, and led me to be what I have been to you. So what you've done is you've been encouraged by hearing what God's doing, the matter of the heart's resolved, their heart being blessed by you, but what you've done is deflected it because you can't take that and I can't take the glory for that. Does that mean we don't encourage? No, you better encourage people. But say, you know, I'm so thankful that you are so yielded in your love for the Lord that God has used you to bless me. And I'm so, see that? How you can encourage someone but also give the glory to the Lord? It's easy for us to forget him in the equation. You know, I'm just trying to do better. No, I'm trying to yield myself greater to the work of God and make sure that he's glorified in the process. Because it's so easy to get man-centered. Amen? So as we're living out what? His created will, his purpose, his sound doctrine that Christ Jesus came to establish under the new covenant. In the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Established in... Faith, faith, and love. See, the love of Christ is the reason that we minister to one another. Without faith, we wouldn't believe it to do it in the first place. So we've got to understand the covenantal promise of what it means to be a New Testament follower, followed by the faith to apply it to our lives, and then ultimately we have to be operating under the love of God because without the love of God, we never do anything for anybody but ourselves. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when you bless someone by being a blessing to them, you are merely being the extension of the hands of Christ, the same way that Jesus went and ministered to the broken. And there is no greater blessing than blessing others as the extension of Christ because you realize this is not of me, it's of him. Don't forget that, though. It's easy. Because the enemy is always trying to pat you on the back and say, you know, you're doing a really good job. You know why he's doing that? He wants to rob you. He wants to rob you of the blessing of being able to be in God's presence blessed for the blessing you were to others. I still go back to that thing in my town. There is a memorial to somebody on a church and it just incenses me for them it breaks my heart it just kills me because every time i pass by and see that i say poor lady doesn't have a clue she got all of her glory there scripture says don't let your left hand know what your right's given god forbid we fall under the dangerous temptation to name our churches, our fellowship halls, our parking lots, or anything else in our honor. God forbid. You know why? Because it's a dangerous temptation to build altars to self. Altars to mom and dad and this and that. It's okay to, hey, it's okay to remember people, but make sure those memories 
pass by on a card, make sure they make sure they're not permanently inscribed on avenues with which we are worshiping, honoring, and glorifying, and pointing all people to Christ. This isn't a monument to people, amen? This is a testimony of what Christ Jesus has given us as the followers of Christ. And I don't want to steal anybody's blessing. I don't want anybody stealing my blessing, amen? I don't want anybody one day when Brother Jonathan's out of here saying, hey, Brother Jonathan was here from this time to this time, and God did this, that, and the other. No, hey, listen. The work of God has been established from 1913 and continues to go on in the future. It might be listed somewhere that Brother Jonathan was a pastor from this date till this date. Praise God, that's wonderful, but this is not a monument to, oh, out on the front there. Brother Jonathan was here when the new building was, no, no. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. And it must always remain about him. I say that because the danger is so real to self-glorify, to self-honor, and in essence, self-worship. Well, I don't mean it like that. We don't have to have the meaning, do we? You don't have to pick up a Ouija board knowing what it is to become part of the danger of what ultimately can happen just touching the thing. Well, there's no danger. It's just a board. Oh, really? Keep reading those horoscopes in your newspaper. Don't. You know I'm joking when I say that, being cynical. Don't do it. Why do I say that? Because it's demonic. It has nothing to do with the spirit. It's the spirits of darkness. It has nothing to do with the spirit of light. You know who holds your tomorrow? It is not some person that wrote some trashy article in the newspaper or put it on your Facebook feed or whatever else feed it is. You have the God of creation that holds your tomorrow. He holds your now. He holds your yesterday. And he holds your future. Don't fall into the temptation to read those things because they're fun. No. They're dangerous. It is rooted in astrology, and it's not biblical astrology. If you look at the scriptures, what do you see? What was going on a couple thousand years ago? Anybody know? Four or five thousand years ago. Worship of what? Stars and celestial, all this celestial star worship. And all these gods they were worshiping. Sun, moon, the stars. Well, it's just harmless fun. No, it's not. Don't fall into that because what happens is you can end up with a demonic generational stronghold that takes root that you end up having to break or your children's children because the sins of the father carried on to the what third and fourth generation. Be very, very careful what you subject your heart, your mind, and your soul. And most importantly, be careful what you subject the spirit of God to. Anybody know where that dwells? Oh, you want to watch that? You just go right ahead. You know why? Because you drag Jesus to the show. You want to, you want to drag him to that? Yesterday I walked into a room. Somebody's looking at something. And I had to turn. I had to do it twice, Monday and then Tuesday. I turned and said, that's not real good, with which the person made some statements that weren't real appropriate. And you know what? That is the, the now what could you do? Oh, wow. No. No, take every thought where? To the will of Christ. What is that? To turn your mind away because I don't want Jesus to have to watch it. Did I, there's nothing I could do about walking in and you instantly, oh, no, no good. 
But that's why we have to take captive every thought to the will of Christ. We have to hold on to sound doctrine. What, is the, what does the scripture say? Flee. Flee. I turned right away, did what I had to do, give the person what I had to give them, and guess what I did? I did a graceful bow out and an exit. That's what I did. We have to do that. Because if not, I don't want to drag the Lord to that. I don't want to subject the Spirit of God to that. Everybody ever thought of that? I got a question for you. Anybody in here getting ready to be Halloween time, huh? Time to start watching those movies this time of year. We'll watch Saw and what Scream and whatever else there are, about 9,000 of them. It's not a big deal. That's harmless, Brother John. I got a question for you. If Jesus Christ walked into your living room and sat down, would you turn it on? Answer that to me. And if you say you would, may God have mercy on you. But if you say, no, I wouldn't watch that with Jesus in the room, you're late to the show. He's in your heart. Stop dragging the Spirit of God into that environment. Because what you're going to get is exactly what you get for it. What, you think God's going to bless it? I'm not, here to, I'm not preaching legalism, church. Please understand what I'm telling you. You can watch whatever you want to. You're a grown adult if you're an adult. God have mercy on you if you let your kids watch it. And God have mercy on the generational things you'll stack up with your kids too. But you have to make decisions and I have to make decisions on what we watch and you might not always make the right decision, but I hope tonight you desire to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And I hope you're not wanting to stack for your children because you want them to be adults and make their own decisions and let them heap a monument of demonic influence and generational soul ties that could potentially follow through your family lineage and history three to four generations. I'll be honest with you, I got enough. Anybody else? Anybody else have enough in your family right now that you don't want to heap anymore? I guess me and about three others are the only ones. Okay, good. I see some hands popping up. I don't want anything else added to any family lineages because I know the mistakes I've made in my life, praise God, I went through deliverance ministry and was able to break those, and I don't want to heap anything else to hand to my children. And I know there's things three generations up that I went and broke, and I pray that those things are able to stay broken and my children don't pick those up and run with them. And to God be the glory, we should do everything in our power to stay in sound doctrine of Christ, to establish in what? Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, recognizing that we drag the Spirit of God to these functions that we are involved in, if you're putting Him in the presence of that tonight. And I would ask you tonight, do you love the Lord enough that you're willing to cut out things in your life that you know don't need to be there? Because why? The heart of the matter are the matters of eternity. Are you serious about it tonight? Or you just, you know, it's all going to be okay because our culture has become so complacent, apathetic, and different. It's not a big deal. It's all going to work out because, you know, I love the Lord. Scripture says, if you love me, why don't you keep my commandments? I mentioned that even with the Sabbath. I know there's people that have to work on the Sabbath. I understand that. But I actually had a conversation with a believer recently, and I was like, you know, believers tend to want to mow their grass. And if you're mowed, I don't know if you mowed your grass on Sunday here or not, so no one's told me about you mowing your grass on Sunday. So nobody's targeting you. You mowing your grass on Sunday? Why? I ask you, why? Scripture says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Why are you mowing your grass on Sunday? You've got six days, Scripture says. Well, that's not, that, that's legalistic, brother. Is it really the Ten Commandments that have been abolished? Oh, I'm sorry. I can covet, I can steal, I can bear false witness, and I can commit adultery now, can I? 
because that's under the law. No, the Sabbath day should be kept holy. If you have an opportunity not to work on Sunday, don't work. Take it and have a Sabbath day, church. Have a Sabbath day. That's what God says. You know why God gave us a Sabbath day? Our bodies need rest. God gave us Sabbath church so our bodies can rest. We can recoup and be ready for the next week. You know why Jerusalem went under judgment time and time again? Because they didn't give God the Sabbath. He says, I'll get them all at one time. So he would leave the land fallow for all the years that they had not honored the Sabbath day. My question to you is, if you're choosing not to keep God's Sabbath holy, I want to just warn you once again tonight. Trust me, you know why I know this? God's gotten me for it. He has. You know what he'll do? He'll get your Sabbaths, I promise you. When you're laid up in that bed for however long it is, you'll get your Sabbath day. But I'd encourage you tonight to reflect and think about honoring the Scripture, honoring God's call to you to give your body some rest. I know nobody has time. I know that. We don't have time. We don't have nothing. Nobody's got time. But I, I encourage you, don't walk in this trap from the enemy that you don't have any other day and you can't rest and you this... Because I promise you, God will get his Sabbaths if you're a follower. If not, you can keep going. You'll fall out physically yourself, but listen to verse 14. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Man, that verse is rich. The first word is guard. Anybody know what guard is? Guard what? Guard the good deposit. Hmm. Wonder what deposit's been made in us. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, the gift of salvation, the gift of grace, God's gift of mercy. Let me see what it says. I haven't even looked at it. What does 14 say right there? The good, oh, here you go. The good deposit is the gospel. What is the gospel? The good news. What good news? That Jesus died for you. Guard the deposit that's been entrusted to you through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Let me show you the second point and then we'll get into it. The heart of the matter must be guarded as we yield to the power and work of the Holy Spirit. The heart of the matter is the gospel message that must be guarded. Guarded. I still don't understand, Brother Jonathan, what you're saying. I encourage you to, I want, I'm just going to tell you, I want you to look up the parable of the soils. You find it. It's your homework. And I want you to read the parable of the soils. Each one of them had a deposit that had been given them. What did they hear? They heard the what? The good news. What does it say? Received it with joy. We have one of the four. One of the four. Ready? There's four people that heard the good news. Ready? See how many people remained? One. If you have 100, 75 are gone. Only 25 remain. If you have a thousand, 750 of them are gone. Only 250 remain. 
Just helping you look at it through the numbers perspective for you who are numbers people. 25%. When you read those other three, you're going to see today why people fall away. One of them says deceitfulness of wealth. Other one says it fell on the path and was trampled. Huh? Tonight, guard. Guard. The deposit has been given you. Guard it. You have a measly max. If you're super healthy with good genetics, 100 years, that's it. Nothing. Listen, I'm watching people die like flies right now. Every day, another one, another one, another two, another three. You just look at our obituaries and where I'm at. They're just dropping like flies. It's nothing. This is nothing. Church, this time we have is nothing. It is a vapor, as I preached just a few weeks ago. All the more, the magnification and importance of the heart of the matter. Because this time we have, you're going to give this in the hopes that everything's okay? Oh my God, have mercy on you, God. Have mercy on you if you think that. I just hope it works out. May God have mercy on your thinking that you might come to the truth. This is serious business, church. The power of God, the presence of God, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus is a precious gift not something to be trampled on and not something as a lucky rabbit's foot or a talisman. No. This is dead serious. It's a matter of eternity. The matter of where we spend our eternity. Either in the presence of the God that weaved us, knit us perfectly together in our mother's womb before no one knew us. God knew you right now. God knew you when Jesus was on the cross. That's incredible. His omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence is ever-present. He's the uncaused cause. He's everything. He's the I am. What a gift we have to give these few years of foolishness, Ecclesiastes, meaningless days, for the glory of eternity in his presence. Read Revelation 5 this week too. Oh God, how awesome. How glorious the thought of what lies ahead. Oh death, where is your victory? Oh grave, where is your sting? It's gone because of what Jesus has done or is it for you? Because if you're not a regenerate follower of Christ it has been transformed by the renewing of your mind, church, I want you to understand tonight, apart from a transformative work of God and the gift of salvation and coming to your senses tonight, the only thing you can expect is 
divine judgment and expectation of judgment is all you can expect. And no amount of weeping, gnashing of teeth, and grieving in front of God's great white throne as you realize that you didn't believe what Scripture said and what I year in and year out screamed, proclaimed, shouted with all the passion I could have in pastors all through your life and ministries and very carols at Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. They literally, I was saying to somebody the other day, says, I don't know, what, what about people who haven't heard the gospel? If you have been living in America and have ears, you hear the gospel every Christmas. You hear it proclaimed with those hymns, those carols, and everything else. The heavens declare the glory of the earth, the work of his hands. Creation itself screams creator. Praise God. God is so good. Church. Those who are followers of Christ have to guard it. It has to be watered. It has to be grown. Reaching has spiritually, what do we do? We're disciples. We're in God's word. We're in prayer. What are we doing? We're guarding the heart of the matter. The gospel message, the gospel truth. Why are we in God's word? So that we know the heart of God as God speaks to us as the Holy Spirit affirms God's word to our hearts, as he continues to mold us and make us and lay on our hearts someone that God wants us to be ministering to or to reach out to or to pray for. And as you spend time with dad, you hear him even clearer. As you pour out your heart to him, sometimes no words, for the situations you don't even have a clue how to pour out your heart to him because of anguish or grief or struggles or battles in the scriptures this holy spirit intercedes with what groans and not be understood god is so awesome god is so powerful god is so ever present church and what does he desire tonight he desires to speak to you Put your name in there. He is the I am. The I singular, the am. He's everything. He says to you tonight, I want to take your ordinary and I want to make it extraordinary. I want to take your little and I want to make it much. Song, little is much when God is in it. But tonight, are you living some half-baked, sorry, no-count, spiritual nothing? There's not even a walk there because why? You have been deceived. You have not guarded the heart of the matter. You've not done what Scripture says right there in verse 14. And the enemy is right now in a concerted effort to steal the good seed. And right now, the Spirit of God has convicted you and right now you're in that pew writhing spiritually over this battle that has ensued as the enemy clearly in your mind is sitting there saying everything's fine. But yet you feel anguish in your heart because you want dad, you want that relationship, but 
complacency and apathy and indifference has become so commonplace with you, you don't know where to start. I want you to know tonight, the heart of the matter can be addressed and you can leave here tonight in the fullness of joy. But it can't happen to you recognize where you're at and recognize where he wants you to be. And that can only happen when you get honest with him. When you get in his presence and you pour your heart out to the Lord because he wants to hear from you. Lardo Harris wrote a song in, 19, I think it was 1988. I love this song. It says, I miss my time with you. Speaking, this is God singing. I miss my time with you, those moments together. I want to be with you each day and it hurts me when you say you're too busy, busy trying to serve me but how can you serve me when your spirit's empty? It's a longing in your soul, wanting more and more to know. I miss you. Great song. Get a chance to listen to it. By Larno Harris. Tonight is God singing that song to your heart. I miss my time with you. Because if God has missed his time with you, the bigger heart of the matter is that you've missed your time with him. You've missed hearing him pour out his thoughts to you. God desires to do that. God merely wants to be your king. He wants to be your guard, your guardian, your protector, your Jehovah Rapha, your Jehovah Jireh. He wants to be your everything but he will not force himself on you. He stands by, ready to take everything, including that heart of stone, that hardened heart, and soften it up with the wine of his love, the oil of his character, the spirit of God, his power, his presence. Well, I love the song Keith Green sings, My Heart is Hard, can't remember the exact words right now. I just listened to it on the way here. I love this song. I listen to it all the time, but I just drew it blank. My faith is old, but I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. So what can I do for this heart? What is your heart tonight? Is your heart hardened? Is your heart battling, hurting, struggling? Scripture, once again, I share with you. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I pray more than anything that tonight you are walking in the dead center fullness of God's presence, power, plan, and desire for your life. That if tonight things are not where they need to be, I beg you. I don't beg you to do what you don't have the passion to do, but if you're sitting there and the enemy is lying to you, please realize and recognize it for what it is. He desires complete and utter destruction in your life your family, your relations, and generational destruction. The only person tonight that can begin the process of reclaiming what is ultimately going to be lost if you don't do something is you. And it happens at times like now where God speaks to our hearts as the Spirit convicts us, and we tell him, the enemy, get thee behind me in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you take hold of that conviction and you embrace that. And you, whatever it is that God wants to do with you tonight, whether it's rededicating your life, whether it's coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ because God has shown you 
that you merely knew about him, you do not know him. And if it's that, you do that tonight and don't leave this building without doing what you know the Spirit of God's convicting you to do because it means everything in light of eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life. First, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin, Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you want to live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.